we've all been in, in climbing shops in other places in the country where you get shamed out of the store if you don't know what you're talking about. And we have never done that. Welcome to Appalachian Startup, stories of new ideas that eventually became thriving businesses in areas that most would consider a bad investment. I'm J.D. Belcher, and I started this podcast because I took the same path as a lot of these folks. I'm a former coal miner, and now I make films through my own production company called JJN Multimedia. I wanted to hear others speak of their journey to not only give new beginners hope, but to help me grow as a fellow entrepreneur. Waterstone Outdoors has been a staple for the climbing industry in West Virginia. Kenny Parker, along with Mara and Gene Kistler, combined their love for climbing with their outdoor industry knowledge to establish their storefront in Fayetteville, West Virginia during the 90s. Season after season, they have seen so much change during the last couple of decades, and this particular episode is especially intriguing during the current pandemic. Stay-at-home orders and government shutdowns have actually led to 2020 being their most profitable year since they began. Bittersweet information indeed. Listen to their words of the early days and why they decided to build their dream in Fayette County. Enjoy. Actually... Waterstone was originally Blue Ridge Outdoors. Okay. Because it was the third of three stores, one in Roanoke, Virginia, one in Blacksburg, Virginia. And then uh, we seceded from the union. But we moved here. (laughs) Kenny was helping run the store in Blacksburg when he was in college, tech. And when did you, you graduated in 92. And um, we had secured the location where we are today, but we hadn't opened the store. We didn't open the store until 94. And then we sold the two Virginia stores in 01. And of course, they're in the Blue Ridge, so they took the name. And after a really long, drawn out naming contest where we got 400 suggestions and we didn't like any of them, we came up Richard with our own Gere. name. We like that one. Which one? Richard Gear. Richard Gear, yeah. Um, so to answer your question, yes, early, early nineties, but the name changed in 2001, same us, but so when did Blue Ridge Outdoors start in Virginia? Seventies, seventies, late set or 77 or 78. Blue Ridge Mountaineering it was. Blue Ridge Mountaineering originally. Yeah. Great name. Um, and I worked there from like 84 till my long drawn out college career, um, (laughs) Came to an end in 92, so. Right. So, uh, uh, coming in, what was your experience in the outdoor industry? Like, what all did you learn in the 80s? Um, <laughs> what did you learn in the 80s? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I was, a, I was a lifer even back then, you know, as far as an outdoors person, you know. I was, you know, obviously, first and foremost, a backpacker and an environmentalist first, you know, believed in all that stuff and, you know, and then became a rock climber in the early 80s. And that's where I met these guys was at the local climbing area in Charlottesville. And then I moved away and went to Blacksburg to go to college. And then, you know, we stayed in touch and then, you know, would always encounter each other at the climbing areas over the years, Seneca predominantly. And uh, in those early 80s, you know, I learned a lot about uh, life, you know. Did a lot of traveling, a lot of climbing road trips in the 80s and uh, went all over the country and, you know, milked college as long as I could. And 
you know, worked at the shop, you know, learned a lot about gear, learned a lot about the industry for sure, you know, because I pretty quickly got into, you know, it wasn't like an official title, but I was like an assistant manager there for years, you know, so I was doing, you know, ordering and payroll and all that kind of stuff. Cool. So what uh, what kind of knowledge did you take from that when you all uh, fired up Waterstone in 94? Like, how did you initially structure the business? Well, you know, Gene and I had always had the idea, and we've, to this day, have stayed with the same kind of climbing shop idealism that, you know, we're a gear shop, you know? And so we were always on the same page about what we wanted to be, right? We never differed. Um, and honestly, that was the reason Blue Ridge Outdoors split was because the guy who was the general manager of the three stores just had kind of a different vision on what he wanted a store to be, you know? And so for us, it was always about being a climbing shop. You know, we are, a, we're going to stay true to our core and we're going to be a gear shop and that's what we're going to be. And we're always going to try to, you know, you know, be a a technical gear shop, avid rock climbers, hire avid rock climbers, you know, just be as kind of, you know, authentic and, you know, credible as we possibly can. And, and then what came along with that, which really was predominantly gene brought to the table was the kind of stewardship and activism and, you know, marrying that kind of role with being a gear shop. And so being stewards of your climbing area was the obvious role of, you know, the gear shop. The Fayetteville store and the Blacksburg and Roanoke stores, even though they're not that far away, they weren't at a climbing area, you know, not just a climbing area, but a world-class climbing area, which I don't think most people kind of thought at the time, but um, we certainly saw it. I mean, Kenny and I were climbing here and doing cleanups and running around long before we ever you know, bought the business from the original, the guy Wayne Sayer who started the business in the 70s. Right. You know, bought bought the two and then opened the third. And then basically sold the two in Virginia to the crew there and uh, just carried on here. You know, it was definitely different. <laughs> you know, the Roanoke stores in a mall, the uh, Blacksburg stores in downtown sort of regentrified downtown Blacksburg. And we were over here just, just kind of winging it. Right. What was the difference in the, uh, in the climbing industry compared to now? Like now, you know, you have cars lined up, you know, all across the interstate to climb the bridge and, or, you know, and I, and I'm preparing you, I'm very green when it comes to climbing. So right. if you hear something wrong, just tell me, but two, two big things that have changed climbing forever, climbing gyms and social media. And that combo has brought so many people into climbing. Um, before that, it was you pretty much knew every, just about everybody you'd see out at, out at the crag. You know, you're either climbing in the New River Gorge, in the Golly River Gorge, in the Meadow River Gorge, or up on Summersville Lake. You know, and it was funny. In the beginning, there were uh, climbers from Pittsburgh and Charlotte and Washington and Virginia. And they were like tribes and they all had, they, everybody spread out. So they had their own place and there's plenty of room here for that. Right. Is it weird being in both aspects of it? I assume there's kind of, you know, back in the day, there was this coolness factor to having this group of people, you know, doing this thing that not a lot of people knew about. 
And now, you know, obviously you want people to know about it because you want them to shop at your store and you want them to learn about, you know, the industry and to figure out how they can, you know, uh, uh, take advantage of what Fayetteville has has to offer. So what is that like? Well, it, I mean, uh, this may sound weird, but um, we always wanted to pay the bills and, and you know, get our paychecks. And, uh, but we were mainly having fun. And I guess we all felt like, you know, people were going to come here and we, that's a two-edged sword, of course, you know. I mean, what we're looking at now, this year, um, while it's been one of our best years retailing the shop ever, you can see what's going on. The parking's all overwhelmed. There are tons of people who've never been outdoors, who don't know how to behave in the outdoors, who don't know how to take a dump in the woods or minimize their impact. Um, and so we never worried too much about trying to attract People here, you know, unlike, say, the rafting industry, that was always marketing hard. You know, our marketing was mainly local. You know, we did a few things. Like Blue Ridge Outdoors magazine started the same year that we bought Wayne out from the business, you know. And we were Blue Ridge Outdoors, and they were Blue Ridge Outdoors. So for a long time, people thought that was our newsletter, and we thought that was great. But um, we didn't really do a whole lot of advertising. Um, it really, I mean, when you think about it, it was, it was, a, it was quite different. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, and, and you know, we knew all along that what what we were doing was legit because we were rock climbers. We were, you know, long experienced rock climbers, and so we'd been all over and climbed at all sorts of places. And we were like, "This place is the," shit. <laughs> you know. So we we knew what we had on our hands here, and that you know, I'd preach this for years. It's like, look, the the rock and the rivers, which are also world class are the foundation of everything here as far as, I mean, I'm just talking just economy, right? As far as outdoor recreational economy, you know, they're going to sell themselves because once people experience it, they're going to be like, Oh, this is the good. Right. So for, so for me, it was always, and that's why the stewardship thing became so important. And what he, Gene's referring to is these growing pains. Now it's like, you know, it was inevitable that this place was going to be, going to explode at some point because it is that good. Right. And that's the kind of the foundation of what you're doing is like, well, you know, the resource is there and the resource isn't going to change. It's just going to be access to the resource, you know, accessibility of it, you know? So that's the stuff you need to focus on. And if you can provide and, you know, adding more into the shop, I don't remember what year do you come in early two thousands? It was like Oh one, Oh two, like Oh three was the first rendezvous, which you were, you were. Yep. I still don't know when I first started. Yeah, it was. I know. And then Kenny one day said, oh, why don't we pay more? <laughs> so, yeah. And so basically, you know, and adding, um, you know, more into the picture, she, you know, she became like the, uh, you know, more old, she'll do some talking, you know, and she became very much a great spokesperson for the business. Cause you know, Gene and I, we, we don't want to deal with people, you know? <laughs> yeah. Maybe Just we should kidding. hear from more about Just that. Just kidding. Yeah. Let's hear from more about that. How did you approach the outreach? to the community? Um, well, I mean, obviously we do a lot of social media stuff and I handle that. We're so tech savvy, you know, <laughs> when did Facebook begin? Oh, uh, 2010. Yeah. It wasn't, it Ish. wasn't early on. Yeah. Well, yeah. I started, um, and there was never like the standard 
operating procedure for Waterstone Outdoors, not a lot of like organization and this is how we're going to handle that. And here's our policy about that. So, somebody said winging it earlier and that's how I feel, you know, we've, we've always been that type of a business. And when I got involved, I was mainly, first of all, trying to figure it out because I'm an English teacher by training. I used to teach at Oak Hill high school. That's what I'm good at business numbers. Not so much. So I had a whole lot of learning to do, but like Kenny said, I do like to talk and we have so much to be excited about here. And the key to any business is making people feel welcome and valued. And that is easy to do when you're sitting on a corner in Fayetteville and you've got this playground to just be stoked about. And that's, that's really all we do. And when we hire people, it's all about being psyched and sharing it. Right. How, how many uh, employees do you have? Currently four. In the summer, it's nine, ten. Sometimes 12 if it's a bunch of part-timers. Yep. Nobody wants to work full-time. No. Too busy rock climbing. Yeah, yeah. So do you hire specifically climbers or do you all offer task training on, you know, teaching people what the equipment is? You know, we we hire nice people, right? And because of where we are, a lot of them end up being rock climbers, but we've never limited ourselves to just hiring rock climbers. We always understood that there's a lot of customers that are going to respond to someone who's living the lifestyle rock climber, right? You know, they're going to say, oh, this guy or this girl knows their shit, you know, and they're, you know, they're going to take it seriously and they're going to be psyched to buy gear from someone who knows what they're talking about, right? So obviously that was where we wanted to emphasize, but we hired nice people, right? You know, we always felt like the best marketing you can do and the best way you can grow your business is to have people leave your shop feeling good, right? And feeling like, like basically what Maura was saying, you know, just you want to make people happy, right? You want people to help, you want to help them get to where they want to go and recreate, which is appropriate for them, you know, whether they're beginner climbers or hikers or whatever, and have the best experience possible and be dying to come back. That's your marketing, you know? But also with climbing, you know, people come in and they, they, lots of times they don't know that much and they're like, you know, unsure about how to, start a conversation and we've all been in, in climbing shops in other places in the country where you get shamed out of the store if you don't know what you're talking about. And, and we have never done that. The point is to have a conversation and we end up taking people climbing. I mean, you just never know who your next friend's going to be, right? Sure. Yeah. And you mentioned, uh, you know, the, the crowds now, do you think that the pro- popularity of, the area is outgrowing the infrastructure that we have to support it? I think we're getting close to a tipping point. Um, Certainly parking, you know, um, it'd be nice to see the national park being more proactive about these issues. They, they, they seem absent. And, um, you know, that's just one part of the infrastructure, you know, there's been a lot of talk about housing with, uh, What's happened this year with the real estate selling and people moving here. And there are 248 Airbnbs in Fayette County and 48 in the city of Fayetteville. A lot of people see that as a problem, sucking up housing. I like to see it as an opportunity for someone to start building some houses. 
Right. And you don't have to create a new subdivision. There's so much infill. There's so much dilapidated real estate that can, that could be, you know, repurposed and rebuilt. And the reason for the Airbnbs instead of renting, obviously, is they can make more money if you charge by weekly as opposed to monthly. They also pay taxes. So I consider that a viable business, a sustainable, viable business. You know, it's, it's just the future. The future is kind of rolling up every day and uh, these things change. And that's just part of that change. Um, but they pay taxes. I mean, that, that's a. Right. Sure. Yeah, for sure. Mara, what have you noticed out on the trails, like especially during the pandemic, you know, people think, well, I can go out and I can take a nice trail walk. Is that even possible around here right now? Or is it more crowded than, a you know, say a mini mall would be? You know, I'm out on, on the trails a lot and on the more popular trails. And um, there are a lot more people out. And I think it's great. I think it, you know, you, and you have, you know, you'll be on the trail running down the trail and here comes a lady with her cigarette and her phone and her sandals. And <laughs> I'm psyched to see her. I mean, that's someone who's going outdoors and the, they're definitely, we're going through growing pains and we have overrun parking lots, but as we figure it out, you know, you can usually figure out where you can't go on a Saturday afternoon. But I think it's really important we all stay real patient right now as we level up our infrastructure. And those of us who are experienced need to be extra careful, remembering that we are welcoming outdoors people. And if people go outdoors, they're going to be healthier and they're going to care more about the environment. So I got to believe it's a good thing. We just got to help people understand about the fundamentals of it. Sure. Yeah. And that makes sense. Um, what would you say, what are some things that the area is, is doing to uh, kind of, you know, build up the infrastructure? Is there, you know, some some groups you all are forming or, you know, climbing meetings? I, you know, I don't know. We've, we formed the uh, New River Alliance of Climbers back in 96, 97. And, um, you know, we advocate for climbing uh, with the Park Service and with the Corps of Engineers. We have a great relationship with the Corps. We have a good relationship with the Park Service. Um, you know, the park, MPS is just the New River Gorge climbing and some climbing on the meadow. But there's a lot of climbing on private property. You know, West Virginia, I don't know if it's still the stat, but about 75% of the property in the state is owned by out-of-state interests. And so one of the big challenges right now is to figure out, just like hunters learned, figured out how to lease land to hunt on large tracts of private land, we need to come up with some similar mechanism to open up these lands in a responsible way that keeps landowners comfortable. So there's more, so there's more terrain, there's more recreational opportunities and, and there's a lot of good climbing and there's, I mean, there's a, there's a lot to enjoy on these large tracts of land. And so we're, you know, NRAC, along with the Access Fund, which is a national advocacy organization, West Virginia Land Trust, we've spent a lot of time on the Meadow River. We're trying to preserve, ultimately, the, the rest of the meadow that did not get included in the National Recreation Area boundary back in the 80s. Um, Robert Schaefer, mayor of Somersville, he, he's been 
really supportive of uh, recreation climbing up there around Central Lake. When you drive north and cross the lake on that bridge and all that parking, you'll see 40 or 50 cars on the right. That's all private land. Okay. So there's a lot sort of flopping in the breeze that could change and could be shut down. So far, so good. But um, we're trying to come up with solutions that, uh, that put all that to bed and, it, and make it easier. The parking on the meadow on Route 19, um, we need to figure that out. Right. Well, let's talk, okay, business model basics here. So take me through, you know, first off, you mentioned the name earlier. How did you end up settling on Waterstone Outdoors? I blame Gene for that one. Um. <laughs> I was, uh, we had to incorporate a new, start a new business because the Blue Ridge Outdoors was a Virginia corporation. Actually, it was Karen Incorporated. Was a, and so we got all these names. Mora wrote them all down on butcher paper and hung them all in the window of the shop. 400 suggestions, right? And, you know, we'd offered like, like a bunch of swag. You know, whoever won the contest, you know, we're going to give them a rope, whatever. Um, we didn't like any of the names. And so I was just sort of at my wits end. And I, had, I just drove to Charleston to go to the Secretary of State's office. And I came up with it on the way. Very nice. Uh, Waterstone Inc. is the corporate name, but our DBA is Waterstone Outdoors. And um, I came back and told told Kenny and Moore, and they were like, okay. <laughs> well, it was kind of like I understood, the, I understood his logic, right? The, the foundation of this area is the rock and the river, right? Ah, oh, I get it now. Get it? Yeah. I get That's it. That's the foundation of, the, of our uh, recreational economy, even though biking has really come on strong here of late. And... Uh, we're all there. You go, Waterstone on wheels. Uh, yeah. Okay. Good. I was thinking. I was like, okay, so it's a wet rock. Maybe it's harder to climb. Maybe you know. I was thinking. <gasps> yeah. Okay. Water. It's actually three words. Water, stone, outdoors. Perfect. Right? Okay. So. Cool. So take uh, take me through and Kenny or Gene Mara, whoever can take this. But what do you all sell? Like, how do you establish? Like, okay, here's our inventory. Here's what it costs. Here's where it comes from. Just uh, take me through the basics of that. Uh, we can't. We can't tell you about those that. are like those industry are, those secrets, are trade you know. Secrets, <laughs> trade secrets. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, it's not, you you learn over time, you know. And and I can think back to the '90s when the rafting industry was booming, and the product mix in our store was you know significantly different than it was is now, you know, um, because the re the rafting industry was a big part of the of the economy back then, and. You know, not that they aren't now, but, you know, when I think about how much inventory dollars at that time was dedicated to like paddling clothes and paddling related stuff and like we don't even hardly sell paddling clothes anymore, you know, and honestly, what hasn't changed. Well, it has changed because it's grown, actually, um, is the rock climbing component of, it, you know, the gear part of it, you know, climbing shoes. You know, we we stock and sell, you know. Probably we probably have we probably have as big of offering of climbing shoes as any other shop in the country, right? And that was intentional, right? That was something you know. The idea was our marketing was we want you to come in the store and not have to leave thinking, well, I like to try on this one first before I decide. You know, well here they all are. Make your choice, right? Um, so it was intentional to be as good of a rock climbing shop as we could from the beginning. You know, so a lot of you know, and even to this day biggest chunk of our business is 
rock climbing gear, you know, mm-hmm. all of it, you know. Is there a specific piece that's sold more than others that you, like stands out or is it basically in general all the things sell related to, to climbing? Well, you know, gear? once again, we're an anomaly in so many ways as far as outdoor shops go in the country. You know, my, or our, I should say, biggest category in the shop by far is climbing shoes, right? There's probably not any shops in the country that their biggest single category is climbing shoes, right? So that, you know, there's probably rock and snow in, in, at the gunks in New York and, you know, a couple of others, maybe one in California. Black one Dome. In Black, well, they've, they've changed, but they're, they're, they're pre- they got a lot of cred. You know, Trent's back at the helm there and they've, they're good. But, uh, you know, it's just more, we've been a climbing shop, you know, and so when you put together you know, your, your buy and what you do. And, you know, more and I talk about this stuff all the time, you know, we're, we're bouncing back and forth on, you know, perspectives and perceptions of where things are going and all that. But in general, we stay true to we're a gear shop, you know, we sell, you know, you know, originally more was the, just really was doing the uh, apparel buying. And then that expanded into more accessories and that kind of stuff too. And, uh, you know, we kept thinking it was the apparel part of our business was going to really shrink and go away and it really never has you know it's like it's actually I mean I remember was it a year ago two years ago saying yeah you know we may not be buying much of the stuff anymore and it's stayed steady and another factor that's important to us is the business who we're doing business with there's been a lot of shift in the outdoor industry in the last 20 years to a much more corporate there's been a lot of consolidation and now you've got the heritage brands, North Face, Patagonia, you know, their mountain hardware. They've gotten a lot more corporate and which is not really our thing. I was going to say, is that a good or a bad word in this instance? For corporate. us, it's not so much a good word because we're all about small, personable, personal. We're all about relationships. Part of the fun of the industry is everybody's pretty fun and cool to work with. And when you start getting that corporate thing. So what we've done lately is rededicate ourselves to the original focus of specialty outdoor, which is to find those little brands, sniff them out, bring them, bring them to your people. So we've kind of redoubled our efforts to pull dollars out of the big boys who are corporate and impersonal and not so much fun to work with and find the smaller brands. And that keeps it fun for us. And it keeps us sort of philosophically aligned with the companies we're working with. Right. How do you decide how much inventory you add? Like, do you kind of know like, well, the season's about to happen. You know, I need 12 pairs of, Please tell me, Kenny. (laughs) Yeah. How we do that? Tell me so I don't (laughs) screw my fall by up. You know, like I said, you know, I think I've already said it in this discussion is we fly by feel, right? You know, like I intuitively, and because we have just one store, you know, we can be less reporting driven. Obviously, we use lots of reporting, too, but we can look around. We can just walk around the damn store. Half the time when I'm trying to make a decision, I just walk out and walk around the store and look at what's there and think about it and make my decisions based on that, you know? But we do have computers. We do. We, do, we do know do how to use computers. These two guys still can't spell computer. That's but, true. Um, <laughs> But anyway, we do use technology. We're not complete Luddites, you know. So um, we, uh, you know, we have target numbers. You know, we know they're in general annual, you know, like I can tell you end of the year what our inventory should be, what the peaks seasonally are going to be and all that. But as far as like following like a rigid open to buy, you know, we, we don't. 
we know it, but we don't know a number, right? And we we can kind of you know, and Gene, you know, Gene and I will go back and forth about, hey, how much money we owe right now? Oh, how much we got? Oh, well, we can spend. You know, we we, we those conversations happen. You know, we just don't. Um, we don't beat ourselves up about it as much, you know. We tend to stay out of trouble by not overbuying, though. We are careful. We are used to being very cash tight. And th- what takes all the freaking fun out of small business is not being able to pay your bills. And over the 27 years, we've gotten, we're careful not to get ourselves in that position. Sure. You know, the, the gear that you, the, the product you receive in the fall, it starts in August. That those orders were written in December the year you know the year before. Mm-hmm. And, oh, really? And yeah. the product you're getting in the spring, which starts in March, those orders were written the, June the, and July. Yeah, the summer the summer before the preseason. You see, preseason ordering allows manufacturers to to really tailor and manage their end of the deal. And so they'll provide incentives like you know extended dating on your payables or some kind of discount. You know, and they'll lead you down that path sometimes. And what we've learned is that, you know, discounts and dating are great, but what's most important is is just to focus on what's happening in your store and buying what you need. One cool thing about the small brand that uh, Kenny and Moore have been chasing up is um, we're always asking people in the shop what they think, what they see, where they've been. You see, we get people from all over the world. and um, a lot of great ideas come just because, you know, Moore will be doing like a clothing buy. She'll drag somebody in the office and sit them down and have them look, look and it and it works, you know. Right. That's awesome. So what what is considered season season with climbing, would you say? Well, the, as far as the user end or the buying end, the uh, shop end? Well, let's just say user end. Like, uh, I'm assuming, it and correct me if I'm wrong, does the seasonal revenue pay for non-seasonal bills or do you kind of stay is it profitable year-round no no you've always had to be a good squirrel and stow your acorns away you know you you have to um you've got a plan for the winter and you know even though it has changed um i mean we just had our best november by far ever in 27 years and uh yeah i mean obviously the weather was good but it's also you know the season has stretched out right it used to be pretty much bridge day, mid October. You know, the place got the the town got boarded up. You know, and and uh, you were pretty le- much left with the residents here, which wasn't very many at the time. Now there's a lot more. A lot more people have chosen to move here and live here, and so the off season doesn't seem so you know you know like an abandoned town anymore. And so it's kind of nice. Just semi. You know, the the bottom line is January, February are always going to be. January, February around here. It's never going to change much. They're all going to be slow. You lose money by staying open. But, you know, we made a commitment at the beginning that we were going to be open 362 days a year, you know, and we have been pretty much every year. And, you know, that I think the idea, like, if you want to win local support and that you're not just another, you know, uh, with a seasonal, you know, coming in here, you know, making a bunch of money and leaving, you know, it's like you want to be part of the, we always wanted to be part of the community. You know, we wanted to be part of, even though we'll never get to be called natives or from here or whatever, 
how that that works. Our gee, even our children don't get to be. I'm not sure. But yeah. I, I've never understood how that worked. But um, But we always wanted to be a part of the community, and we stro- really had made great strides to be that. You know, and being open all year round and being open for everybody was kind of one of our main philosophies that we always had. Right. Here's another big part of the business formula. You can track sales with the weather. It's it's the number one factor. And 2017 and 2018 were, I think, the two wettest years since we've been open. And we were like, okay, we're, we're done. And then 19, it got pretty nice and dry. This year, it's been amazing. We've got it pandemic is, it is, special weather. It was, it's Dece- December 1st is when the weather fell out. But up until the very last day of November, I always, I mean, no one remembers this, but the fall of 1994, from the beginning of September to the beginning of December, it was just crisp and dry. And so when the weather's good, it's good. You can look at the weekend coming up and we know what it's going to be. If the weather's good. Business is good. Right. And you miss, mentioned uh, best November ever, Kenny. Do you think, you know, that some businesses have had that same experience due to the pandemic? You know, is it relative to that or is it more weather-based? Absolutely. Is Absolutely. It- the national uh, kind of news in the outdoor industry has been that um, outdoor industry is doing well because it's it was figured out pretty early or, or perceived to be pretty early that getting outside doing outdoor activities was safe, you know, versus going to concerts or sporting events or that type of thing due to the pandemic. And so uh, I, the last I heard the number was over 30% growth in the outdoor industry at climbing areas and other rec destination outdoor areas. And that's what we're really feeling now is that explosion and the growing pains and the, in, the lack of infra- infrastructure and that sort of thing. Um, and we've all really benefited from that. How long that'll go, who knows? But I think you're going to get some people who stick, you know, who, like Morris said, they discover the outdoors. It's a healthy, good thing to be doing. And they, you know, all of a sudden the light bulb comes on and they're lifers themselves, you know. So I think we're going to get a lot of those people that stay. And so we have to plan on um, growth. And, uh, you know, which is, which is good. You know, I, I, I'm not, I'm never, you know, even though we're all old, um, I've always felt like being a curmudgeon is the worst strategy you could possibly do because it's not good for business. is it? It's not good for business. <laughs> it's not good for your health. It's like, you know, you have to be understand that times change and things are going to change and you can either adapt and change with them or you can go the way of the dodo bird, you know, or, or maybe that one got killed off. Yeah, don't be dissing the dodo bird. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, it's not just November, okay? Just, just telling the story. June, July, August, September. June, July, August, September, October. Five best months in twenty six years. Right. You know, we closed from the middle of March until the beginning of June, and then it just kind of blew up, and uh, it was really strange to be trying to figure out if we're all going to die while business was booming. Right. So you, 
shut down. Everyone shut down there for those few months and then you open back up. Did you have people waiting for the doors to open? You know, they already had it planned. Like as soon as, you know, as soon weather, as I can, I'm going to prepare to climb. And the that's weather just what was I'm good. Do. Okay. Climbing gyms had closed because it wasn't a safe place. Okay. When you go to a climbing gym, all you have to bring is a harness and a pair of climbing shoes and a chalk bag. All of a sudden there's nowhere to climb. So if you're going to go outdoors, you need at least a rope and some quick draws. And so everybody's buying rope and quick draws. And then you realize that, well, I don't really have any hiking shoes. I've actually never recreated outdoors. I was an urbanite who went to a climbing gym and someone said, hey, let's go climb outdoors. I mean, that's just how simple, you know, that was. The other issue that's really come to light um, is uh, just like you probably heard that you couldn't buy a bicycle in the U.S. this year. And we're starting to see real supply gaps. The supply chain's being strained in every industry, and in ours, it's it's definitely there are gaps. You know, we don't we don't know what we're gonna get for this next year. How do you fight your way? You know, competing against I'm assuming you know bigger outdoor companies to say no, give me that. That's my rope. You know how 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 do you fight your way in there as a small business? Well, Kenny has been involved in this industry. When did you start college? 84. So what's that? 25? Kenny gets what he wants. I, I don't like doing the math. Kenny yeah. gets what he wants. No, but, but Kenny, he's been around at this point longer than most of the people we're dealing with. And he has a certain way of. So there's a network. Involved. There's a network. And Mora, she has more friends in the outdoor industry than anyone I know. And um, I mean, they do stuff together and they. There are a lot of people in the industry that know that the right thing to do is to support people like us because we're we're fully committed, heart heart and soul. There aren't many. We're kind of one of the industry darlings because we're the last of a dying breed, which is a <laughs> hardcore destination shop that's kind of funky and kind of offbeat, has a, lots of gear. That's sort of, that's what we all romanticize and remember from way back. So the industry likes small businesses like ours that operate. So we do get some support for that. But a lot of it is just pre-season buying, get your order in, make sure you get your orders in when products hard to get. But now it's been sort of a crapshoot what they should send you because they can't get it. So it's been, it's been a rodeo is what it's been lately. Well, and I, and I would add to that that, you know, obviously the credibility standpoint of it, you know, we are at one of the world-class destina- destination climate areas, but also the way we have operated. Like Moore was just saying, you know, we are very good about writing pre-seasons. We've always been good about that and doing them on time. People not having to chase us down for orders, but we also pay our bills. We're very fiscally responsible people, and we've always t- made it a point of pride to pay our bills and not spend money that we don't have. And... In the industry, you know, businesses in the industry appreciate that, you know. So when you have a track record of 27 years of paying your bills, you know, it, it counts for something. Sure. Yeah. And if we don't have quite enough money, the little guys get paid first. <laughs> right. And and you all have evolved, too. Like, now you have excellent coffee. Where did When did that come along? That's We don't have excellent coffee. Craig Rieger, a former employee of ours. I want, to, I want to tell that story only because 2017, it rained all year, and 
2018 happened again. And Craig, who I don't know what is different about Craig, but he's the most fired up individual I've ever met. He walked in the office one rainy day and said, hey, I want to put a coffee shop in the shop. And we all just looked up and said, fine. And that's pretty much all we did. And Craig had worked there for a long time, and uh, he has incredible design sense. He's got a great aesthetic, and he he started creeping in from the back, you know, and taking over. And Now we have to beat him back. And, you know, I mean, here's the deal. Craig has done so much to bring people into the business and improve the business and the lights. Craig has never paid a month's rent, but we've gotten so much more out of our relationship with Craig than, than rent. He's always doing things to improve the business. So it's a business within a business. Okay. There's five businesses. Yeah, there's actually five of us. Five businesses <laughs> within. Friction Fix, Resoling, New River Mountain Guides, Guide Service. Craig Rieger's cough range, range finder, range finder and Waterstone and mountain surf paddle sports, mountain surf paddle sports. rinse paddle boards. That's awesome. So yeah, the coffee brings people in and in turn like, Hey, I'm going to buy this, you know, Oh, it tur- it's turned the shop into a all day cocktail party because his coffee is so strong. Everybody gets jacked and they never leave. They're already just sitting around. Like, I get to get to get So, you know, that good things come out of that. Right. Yeah. That's, that's excellent. Uh, so, um, you know, what are your plans? Do you plan, you know, from year to year or do you kind of have like, well, you know, eventually we would like to be here and have this kind of revenue goal or do you not even think in revenue terms? We've never had aspirations in life. You know, we just, <laughs> <laughs> we just, we just, you know, we just live here because we love it. And I've always said, this is one of the best places to hide from the world. And uh, <laughs> we have the best recreation you can ask for. It's right out the door. You know, we don't have to drive anywhere to go play. Amazing community. We're great people, you know. Watching the community evolve and grow and build over the past 30 years is just, that's been the coolest thing of all. Right. And what has that been like? Like, what's the difference now than it was More then? people, but... Everyone who's moved here, who's a climber, who's in the outdoor rec world, every single person has had to make a hard decision that they want to be here and they're going to have to figure out how to make it work. And when everyone has to do that and they're looking for support, it just builds a really special place. You know, it's not an easy decision. Oh, I'm just going to move to Fayetteville. Well, you better have a plan. I remember uh, there were two young climbers from Virginia Beach, Nick Spruill. And um, Rudy Oppenheimer. And they were floor covering installers for Lowe's in Virginia Beach. So they got in touch with the Lowe's in Beckley and Somersville and uh, parlayed that job into doing floor installations here. Super smart. So they roll up and they are, they are instantly climbing and have a job. You know, so, I mean, we all know that it's, it's, it's tough there were no out, there was not an outdoor rec sub community 30 years ago the only people who wintered over were the raft company owners there were no climbers who no year round and that has all just very gradually until the last 5 years where it's shot but 91 it was this very gradual thing where and you'd always know if someone was thinking about moving here cuz hardly anyone was and then this little outdoor rec sub community started to develop 
And then we started to get things done. And 30 years in, well, now it's with rafting, basically 50 years in, I think we've really turned this corner with the, the resident local community because we've been at it a while, contributing things, building skate parks, building playgrounds, being team players, trying to jump in with making our schools better, our health system better. And now we've kind of turned this corner where we're, we're, more, we're accepted. And that this, it used to be a lot of that. And that's really changed a whole lot. We also we've earned our place. Early on, we started um, doing a lot of volunteer work. And volunteer projects are a great place for people from another place to come and hang out and get a feel. And uh, that still goes on today. There's such a strong spirit of volunteerism today because that's been going on. Um, ni- 1991, like, can it started climbing here in the early eighties. I started climbing here in 85. Um, more and I moved here, uh, in nine and we rented a house on Maple Avenue in Fayetteville next to the mayor. But there was a big thick hedge between our house and the mayor and our house became the flop house for climbers that year in 91. There were people living in our house. I didn't even know. It, but no one cared. Everybody was climbing and working and cooking. And and uh, that was the summer when people started sticking around that, that year, you know, and, and we moved out of town. We figured we better get out of town with that many, you know, before we got run out of town <laughs> and uh, moved across the river, you know, getting on that north side of the river. That's, that's a whole nother world. Well, uh, final question, which I could talk for hours, but, um, and each of you can take this one. What would you, what were, what are some suggestions you would give to people, you know, you being, uh, coming here and starting a business. If someone in these communities has a really good idea, they think what kind of, uh, qualities do they need as a person to not only build a business, but to sustain themselves? Well, I would say first off, having seen, over the years, so many businesses fail in our area is you've got to be willing to work, right? Some things never change, right? And if you've got, you've got to have a strong work ethic, you've got to be there for your customers, you've got to be open, and you've got to be willing to make sacrifices to, you know, when everyone else is going rock climbing, you got to be willing to go in the work. And I think that is is the foundational one. And then, you know, I'm sure these guys can add some other qualities, but, you know, starting your own business is number first and foremost about being dedicated to your business and you are committed to making it work. So, and just being patient. We had to wait a lot of years to get anywhere. That was back. I wasn't involved then, but Kenny, Kenny was doing the whole business and there was a lot of twiddling of thumbs and just being patient and just biding your time and balancing out your life as best you can. One thing I will say that I've changed over the years, I used to think you really needed to be like a type A plus person to start a business. And I don't believe that anymore. I think you just need to design a business that works for you and then commit to it and then hold your line and just spend your money wisely and be cautious and and be patient because it does take a while to grow a business. Yeah. You know, I thought that, uh, the community was going to grow a lot quicker than it has, you know, it's taken a long time. I mean, we, we've been here a long time and, uh, 
and that's all fine. You know, looking back, it's been, it's been amazing. And we got through. So, you know, more people are coming. Um, it's definitely a time to get a plan together to avoid some of the issues that other communities have suffered with this kind of sudden growth. Um, but, you know, business, like we started a business that was so embedded in what we'd been doing here anyway. Yeah, I don't know. I, there are other types of businesses where you're, you see a technological opportunity, for example, and you're trying to, you know, monetize that. I guess you just got, you've got to, you've got to really like what it is, you know, you got, it's got to be, it's got to come from you. You know, it's hard to just patch on an idea and say, this is what I'm doing. Um, unless it's a fundamental service, you know, like, like we'll always need good mechanics, right? You always need a good body shop. You'll always need a good, a lot of things, but beyond, you know, beyond basic services, um, you just, you got to find something you really like, like what you're doing. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Segway. Awesome. Mara, Kenny, and Jean, your energy for this region inspires me to do more in both my business and my outlook on just how lucky we are to live here. To find out more about Waterstone Outdoors, three words, by the way, find them on Facebook or order their products at waterstoneoutdoors.com. Appalachian Startup is a bi-weekly podcast, so be sure to check back for more stories of entrepreneurship. Like us on Facebook and Instagram and support the show by grabbing a sticker from our online store at AppalachianStartup.com. Review our podcast on Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud as well. We are on Patreon. You can support the show there and allow us to showcase more businesses in Appalachia. Stay tuned for more stories of underdogs on the rise.